There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. Welcome to Fear Feasts. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Ali. And we're your hosts. Ghosts are real. That much I know. I've seen them all my life. Allie, are you going to start us off with a quote from the Old Testament or the New Testament today? Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. John 4.20. And the film we're going to be talking about today, dear Fear Feasters, is Crimson Peak. And there is a brother and sister that have seen an awful lot of each other. So we'll be spoiling this film for you if you haven't seen it yet. First of all, why haven't you seen it? And secondly, go and watch it right now and then come back. Yeah, or let us spoil it for you because that's what we're gonna do as we as we always do. The despoiler girls, yes. Oh my gosh, this this movie is so fantastic. Oh my God. Well, anything by Guillermo del Toro is, is amazing. But uh, this to me is, I, I can't say, I don't know that it's his masterpiece. I'm torn between this one and Pan's Labyrinth. I love that movie so very much. And I've seen it almost as many times as I've seen Crimson Peak, so. I think what is what blew me out of the water was the knowledge that Guillermo del Toro, I mean, this film was released in 2015, mm -hmm. but he had it under his belt for many years before that, and he yes. couldn't find the funding for it. How is this possible? I know. And then he then he became what a world famous director. And I know, I know, I know. People are dumb. What can you know? Nobody people don't recognize talent and good uh good movies, but you know, thankfully it got made and then you know it's you yeah. know. Per perpetually gonna you know, right. scar scar us in, in thinking about um, brother sister relationships forever and ever going forward at least for me and much more <laughs> i mean how do you are you okay with your tea drinking or are you feeling a bit nervous after you watch the film again i don't know um tea, you know yeah i kind of i mean you know and, and tea is such an integral part of of this movie as well as we'll get into as we go yes. through the movie but yeah i am um, Made me a little nervous thinking about drinking tea, but I did have to say that that tea set was quite uh, quite beautiful. I would love I'm to. I'm drinking. I'm I drinking see. some tea right now. I see you drinking some tea. Is it, I'm slurping my poison. Is it made from fire thorn berries? Is it bitter? <laughs> Does it need to it's be very bitter? But then life is bitter. Life as is Thomas bitter. Says. Yes, it is. Yes, life is bitter. With you know. You have to be bitter to survive. Yes, we know. So there are so many good quotes in this film, don't you think? That yes. I remember and I've written them down because they're yes. so good. Oh, they I know. Will serve right? me well in life. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I don't know if they're as good as your Bible quote, but the there's some there's some excellent dialogue in here. So yes, I'm glad so, you liked it. Oh, I did. I did. I like all your Bible quotes, though. You know, you 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 read the Old and New Testament so well. You know, anybody Thank would you. guess that you were, you know, a recovering Catholic like me or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, do you want to start us off by giving the synopsis sure. as you, and in your usual inimitable fashion? 
I will do. Crimson Peak is a gothic romance horror film set in the late 19th century. And the story follows Edith Cushing, play, po- played by Maya, um, Mia sorry, Wasikowska, who is a young aspiring author with the ability to communicate with ghosts. And after a tragic family loss, she falls in love and marries Sir Thomas Sharp, played by the wonderful Tom Hiddleston. Isn't he? Sorry, he's a charming. He's a charming aristocrat from England, and I think he's just charming generally, isn't he? Um, he's he's also a really good dancer. There's so much I could say about him, but I will say, he's a dancer. He's an engineer. He's hot. About the only thing he doesn't have is a ghost. Yes, he doesn't have any money. Uh, sadly, and his uh, his number one liability, uh, although I'm sure he does not initially think that, is his sister Lucille, who he is traveling with to America to try and secure funding uh, from Mr. Cushing, Edith's father. And Edith's father basically tells him, not going to happen, buddy. Nope. And uh, yeah, so uh, the baronet proceeds to uh, court Edith and falls or says he falls in love with her proposes marriage and her father is like uh no we found out some stuff about you and your sister mm-hmm. so of course what what happens the father is myster- mysteriously dies no one is sure how and so of course what happens edith marries the baronet and goes with him off to their extremely gothic could this be any more of a gothic house i think it's one of the most isn't it right i mean it it outgoths the the house of usher in my opinion I mean, and there's a bit of incest in the House of Usher as well, isn't there? Really? So oh, it might be, you know what? What's yeah. the you know the old saying: incest is best. It's a game the whole family can play. <laughs> what is it? Oh, oh, maybe that's why it's called Allerdale Hall. It's like all in the family. Yeah. Hall. I I think that is probably. I think that's as I think that's as, as likely a reason to to for, to name it Allerdale Hall as anything else. So yes, so Edith uh, Edith goes to Allerdale Hall with. The baronet and his sister Lucille, and very strange things start to happen and very scary things. Mm. She hears mysterious bumps in the night, and she starts to see ghosts. And these ghosts, I've got to say, I got to give Guillermo del Toro kudos. His ghosts are scarier than hell. Oh my god! People laugh at this because of the CGI. They say they're rubbish. I think they're great. I, I think, think they they're are very terrifying. Scary. Oh my There's god! The skeleton aspect of it, I, I, and the red, I think that really works well. I love. Well, them. I mean, that's a whole other aspect of the movie that we'll get into is just the colors. I mean, no, I know this is a food pod, food and horror podcast, and we will definitely talk about food. But to me, I mean, the the set design and the costumes and just the the color were just absolutely stunning. Just stunning. And, and there's and there's a lot of symbolism in there as well. So what ends up happening once uh, once uh, she's at Allerdale Hall and starts proceeding to see these ghosts? Yes, yeah, she starts to see these ghosts, and I do love when a, I have to say when a film starts with its final scene, and you get to see the the ghostly atmosphere already. You get yes. to see you know kind of where it, where it will end up. Um, I love the the cyclicity the cyclicity of that, and so I I, I think um, that's a great start. And so Edith gets this warning from her mother to begin with. And so from she from the age of about 10, we know that she's able to communicate or has experiences with ghosts. So she's receiving these messages. The great thing is she doesn't know that Allerdale Hall is Crimson Peak because yes, the ghost she only of her gets mother. to find that out afterwards. That yeah, the ghost point. of her mother tells her when she's a little girl, beware of Crimson Peak. And then she, re- you know, as time goes on and she's at Allerdale Hall, she realizes that's the name for it. That's the nickname for it. And for good and reason. And this is where... 
I think ghosts are useful, but they can be useless as well. If you're going to convey a message, use, you know, name and surname. Just say Thomas Sharp. <laughs> Just say Alladale Hall. Don't but say that Crimson. that wouldn't be any fun. And... Come on. And, and, I know. And... Come but on. maybe there's a reason because Crimson obviously is red and there's clay involved. And we're talking about the mines. So I think maybe the mother is going to the root of the issue for the whole film, which is the mining well, you know, as and the Edith, fact they don't as, have money, as Edith very succinctly puts it in the beginning, the ghosts are metaphors. <laughs> the ghosts are, are metaphors. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, I know it just. Yeah. <laughs> Great movie. So as time goes on, of course, Thomas falls in love with Edith and, and, you know, you start to see his sister reacting to that in a very, very strange way. She's very angry all the time. She's very devious and she's just this very cold very beautiful but very cold woman and you can tell she doesn't like edith but she does she does love to prepare her tea and on these beautiful this beautiful tea set i like i would covet that tea set and she brings tea edith tea every day in this in this charming ritual and and you know trying to welcome her as her sister-in-law mm-hmm and uh yeah so then, of course, Edith and Thomas, you know, spend the night together. They haven't consummated their marriage uh, until they g- get to England. And yeah, and Lucille is not pleased <laughs> about it. So you okay. kind of start to think to yourself, hmm, is this one of those Do you situations? see her face? Do you, do you remember her face when she when she said when Lucy, when sorry, when Edith says that they haven't consummated their marriage yet? Lucille is over the moon. She's so happy. Yeah. And she's kind of because she's so jealous of her. She doesn't she need she she understands that Thomas needs Edith's money and money. whatever for the for the business. But mm-hmm. she doesn't really want them to be together, obviously. So well, when uh, Edith get, says, <laughs> right so yeah Edith, Edith you know started seeing these ghosts and these ghosts are obviously leading her toward some kind of discovery or other she starts exploring the house she finds these these cylinders these wax cylinders which you can play on a phonograph um and she starts listening to them and she starts to realize that the their her husband was married before and he, there were these three women and she's seeing three the ghosts of three women and then she sees the ghost of this other woman who's in the bathtub and the ghost has a a meat cleaver so an, another great food reference a meat cleaver through, oh yes through her head and uh you know basically what it comes down to she finds out her husband has been married three times to these women they were all heiresses like like edith you know and with no family in the world and these all women all ended up ended up dead so she's of course you know, devastated by it. She goes to search for her husband to tell him. She walks in on uh, her husband, her brother, her husband, Thomas, and his sister, Lucille, in bed. So that's the uh, big, big uh, expose right there is is Thomas and Lucille have this incestuous brother-sister relationship. Hence, Allie's lovely quote at the beginning of the episode. About siblings, sibling love. Mm. Yes, gone a bit too far. Kind of united in their misery as well. And you get a lot of this, I think, quite um, strong um, incestuous imagery a lot in the Gothic don't you um I think it's yes. uh, quite frequent and it's a it's a frequent um theme but why um, is that Ellie I mean you well, can understand gothic yeah. other other gothic elements obviously this house plays on all of the gothic yeah. tropes although I love how it subverts them but um mm. you know what yeah. what what is the because you see it in the fall of the house of Usher yes um that's yes. that to me is the, and it's not it it's not explicit but it's very much implied in my yeah. opinion and, and I mean it movie, is to- 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just... uh, with modern Gothic as well. Like I recently read a 2017 novel, had no idea it had incestuous themes. And it was it's called Under the Pendulum Sun by Jennifer and and um it's in 2017 novel and also the mid middlesex by jeffrey eugenides in 2002 i can just think off the top of my head that i read and i thought oh okay it's still it's still kind of unusual uh, to get that twist it's still a little bit shocking but it has does have like a long and complex history in gothic literature mm -hmm. and other forms of art as well so in gothic literature incest is obviously it serves as a taboo and a shocking event and an element you know and it adds to kind of the unsettling atmosphere that the stories want to create but it's kind of used as a tool to explore family secrets and uh, madness boundaries yeah, yeah of human morality but the root can be traced back to ancient myths and legends so gods and goddesses and mythical beings that were kind of engaged in relationships that would be considered incestuous obviously okay. in human terms yeah. Well, and, and these kind see, of inspired and, and later writers. Common, yeah, and that was a very common practice in ancient cultures. You think of, you know, the, the pharaohs of Egypt, you know, they intermarried their, their brothers and sisters all the time. I mean, Cleopatra uh, herself was, was supposed to have married her brother. And I, you understand yeah. that it's meant to, you know, in, in the ancient cultures, it was a way to preserve the, the quote unquote purity of the family bloodline. You see but, that uh, in Game of Thrones as well, don't you? Yes, I was, that was that, that was what yeah. came to mind when I was watching this movie again. Is rem remembering the uh, the relationship between the, Jamie and Cersei Lannister, and yes. it was very yeah. similar. Yeah, and then there um there there's a book that I love, which I know you love as well. It's called Mexican Gothic by Silvia uh, Moreno Garcia, and there's an uh, element of that in there as well. And so that yeah, you're absolutely right. But it just it. Yeah, it's it's and I'm sure that Mary Shelley wrote a story. I think it's called Matilda. And it's a, it's a story of a yes, of a woman and he, her mom dies in childbirth and her father becomes that kind of the relationship with her father becomes sexually charged as he conflates her with his lost wife. And Mary Shelley was writing this, obviously, again, gothic writer, sure. Wuthering Heights and yeah, the fall of the House of Usher. Um, yeah, so it's still it kind of dotted here and there. I wouldn't say it's um, super. Uh, common you know it's not like round like, yeah yeah but it's still oh, thank there. god yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so you know the so <laughs> great and and what you know what I, what I love about the movie so much you know specific to the food is that it, it kind of opens on a foodie theme it opens on this, this really cool shot of of um I, what what city is it in in is it Boston I yes, I think so. I think it's set in Boston. It starts in Boston where Edith lives and it's a, it's a street shop and you hear the street vendors saying, you know, apples for sale and barley for sale. Mm. And, you know, it just, it, it, it's, it's meant to evoke, I think a sense of, of a yeah, big city, but there's still that sense of rural connected to the farm. Yes. And it's, it's very different from nowadays, obviously, um, you know, when you go to the store to buy your food, you know, then, you know, you, 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 you bought your, your food from vendors right on the street. And I thought it was interesting to start the movie like that. It sort of it kind of creates an environment of like kind of comfort and hominess and security. That's true. I hadn't safety. thought of that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you think yeah. that's kind of the more traditional? Because you see, Edith's father is quite traditional. And I think there's that nice moment when he takes Thomas's hands and he says, these hands are soft. Feel mine. They're, they've got calluses on them. You know, they're very mm -hmm. hard. These are hardworking man, uh, hard man. So it's kind of the old 
style that kind of old-fashioned mm-hmm. person as opposed to like the modern person that has techniques and he's created this machinery so the idea of yes you can hear them selling fruit on the streets etc is quite an old-fashioned and comforting way of kind of dealing mm-hmm. with food and community yeah and um, yeah I hadn't really noticed that to be Very honest much. in the beginning yeah. yeah yeah so yeah and and, and you know and, and I, I what I like uh, what I also like about this movie is that it, it uses food and drink in such both really in a dangerous way as we'll come to talk about but it also uses it it's very much a a class marker as well you know Edith's father is very wealthy and one of the opening scenes is they all attend a party uh, where Thomas asks uh, Edith to dance and you see at the beginning when the party started you see these these servants bringing in these these vast they look like desserts um, these vast opulent dishes there's one that looks like it's candied roses and it's just you know it's obviously like i said it's a marker of class you you know these these wealthy people this wealthy society they can afford to have this massive spread of food um and even you know before they go to the the dance and eat at the city having uh dinner with her father and they're eating off this beautiful you know bone china but but I, i liked the fact that what he was eating seemed kind of like Kind of homey and down to earth like him you know as a piece of chicken and yes. you see some potatoes and peas which you know yes. is one of my favorite comfort meals right there so you know right when so like i said right off the bat everything about america and this house and you see it even in the color scheme is sort of meant to represent i think the comfort and the safety and the security of of her life which is very contrasted with when she goes to england in allerdale hall which is this very cold blue place with a lot of blacks and then yes. the majority and you of the- don't, yeah and you even though you see food there and you see you know obviously uh there is a kitchen you don't see any food arriving you don't see how any anyone's kind of bringing in food to the kitchen or yeah. they've slaughtered something to eat later or there's no kind of sense of um creating something for the meals um but whereas the dad um yes you're right about that you're right there is a comfort to it and even when just before he dies he never gets to eat his breakfast but he does say to his valet or his butler oh I'd like bacon and eggs you you get the traditional kind of uh, approach to food food. Mm. yeah yeah So, and then, you know, as, as you know, as, as he's trying to push his daughter away from Sir Thomas, they invite them, he, he, they have a, another party at their house and their uh, Lucille and Thomas are invited. And that's when Edith's father has found out about yes. these three women that he had been previously married to. And that the fact that um, Thomas and Lucille as children had um, murdered their mother. And, you know, you get into, they get into the backstory there, but the, the, what I liked about it is that they did it against this backdrop of this very civilized dinner. And you could tell it was very elegant. They don't, they don't show the dinner, but they show these beautiful dishes, these gorgeous coupe glasses filled with champagne and these wonderful desserts. Like those desserts were beautiful. I had to stop and like zoom in. What do you think it was? A little cake? Like yes, a little, little, it looked nearly like tiramisu. You style. read you my mind. I was just going to yeah. say they look, looked like what... little, little tiramisu. I mean, it couldn't have been, but yeah. No, but it, it definitely had some kind of chocolate or cocoa in it. And it just, it was yeah. so luscious. And, you, and it, what I thought was so interesting is, you know, when you go back and you you give the movie a, a watch for the second, third time, and then you kind of, re, you know, you really, you kind of contrast it with with what he, what he probably knew about this brother and sister and this kind of like 
savage you know thing between mm. them and the fact that he's committed savageries against these women and then you contrast it with this lovely civilized calm place where people are eating their lovely their lovely cakes and drinking champagne and it's just such a but it's also very much a, a marker again a marker of their class you know they're obviously yes. very wealthy they can afford to entertain and then you contrast it with when yeah. she goes to england and like you said, no, there's not a lot of food scenes, but so many of the pivotal scenes take place in the kitchen. Yes, they do. Mm -hmm. And Thomas and Lucille, even though they are, you know, how they obviously they have evil intentions, they are, they know how to play society. They know how to uh, abide by the rules of the game and, and yeah. you know, make sure that they behave. So um, during this dinner where Thomas has been asked to break Edith's heart by saying that he'll be going away and leaving because the father's giving them giving them a check. Um, Thomas knows exactly what to say, and um, all the, the the people at the dinner table are sitting in front of this delicious cake on this wonderful crockery, and it's the end of the dinner. And it just made me think of the fact that it's an important symbol of respect and control over bodily hunger. You know, if you can control your impulses, and there's food right in front of you but someone is about to speak you get these moments during speeches where and that's happened to all of us at weddings and um other yep. kind of more important occasions or simply if someone's starting to, to eat and they've hosted a, a large dinner and they want to um say something that you can't really eat immediately you'd have to wait for the host <laughs> to finish speaking yep. and the same thing with him and I was thinking would I be able to restrain myself um probably not you know I'd be at that cake the moment that, <laughs> that it was cake looked pretty, me. that cake looked pretty damn I good say, I gotta say Thomas you're gonna leave for England bon voyage I... my friend let's tuck into the cake yes like, I'm like the cake and you. the champagne you know very important things in life cake and champagne yes Mm -hmm. But they were waiting, you know, for him to finish and he knew what to say. And it was all done within the structure of societal propriety mm -hmm. and us knowing what's actually going on makes it an even dirtier scenario. No, it makes it even more kind of yes. uh, dangerous. And we find out about risky. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we think exactly. Edith is going into the literally from the from not even from the frying pan. She's in no trouble at all. She's going straight into the flames of hell with those two. I know. Yeah. And Ellerdale Hall is just, it's, it's, it, God, it's, 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 she, again, I have to go back and say, this is such a gorgeous movie. I mean, the colors and the cinematography and just Ellerdale Hall, you know, that, that scene when, when she first arrives with Thomas and she walks in and you see that the main hall has a, yes. a huge hole in the roof and you can see these little teeny tiny <laughs> flakes of snow coming through and it, and it's so beautiful and picturesque and then you go past it and you go into the the room where the piano is and there's this huge blazing fire but um yeah it just oh god it and about the snow because i was thinking that's a bit much isn't it to have the snow falling in through the actual roof but then that serves a purpose mm -hmm. when um when of course lucille tries to kill Edith and she mm -hmm. falls again we have another great banister scene where the banister does not do the job <laughs> and Edith <laughs> falls over but luckily because she falls on a mound of snow she doesn't yes. die so yes. there was a purpose for that which is oh, great well, thank god for yes. that so but yeah I'm, I, I I have to say I'm really glad I don't I don't have a house with a, a two with a you know two stories that has a balcony because I'm pretty traumatized I don't have a banister in this balcony house, no. scenes in these movies yes it's <laughs> absolutely terrifying and uh, speaking of, of kitchen stuff i'm also glad i don't yes a meat cleaver oh my no god way. lucille you don't have a meat cleaver no oh no. okay you're gonna right. buy me one for christmas if you want but you've already asked for the annabelle doll 
Oh, right, well, we... Hello, you can get me both. <laughs> I'm your. Don't live. Don't limit yourself. Okay. <laughs> the horror that's available. Okay, fine. And it's not the Annabelle, it's not the Annabelle doll. It's the Regan from the Exorcist Barbie that you're gonna get me. Oh gosh, yes, that was it. It was green, actually. Yes, that's why it was green. <laughs> I'd like the Annabelle oh, doll. Oh god, that was so funny. Oh God! I thought of you because there's a scene where you go into Thomas's workshop and that's where they have a passionate kiss. And I thought, oh, Vanessa would hate this workshop. There are puppets everywhere and there are heads of Thank puppets. Thank you. Obviously... I, you read my mind, you know, and he- I makes... love it. But as as they're kissing quite passionately, you get the two, they're like two puppet heads. Those heads of the dolls? Around them. Yeah. Well, that's what he <laughs> Just did. Just looking at them. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. It's like a kind of a warning right there when he says, oh, when we were little, I used to carve toys for Lucille to keep her happy. And he carved her little dolls. I was like, that's very disturbing. And while they're there having that passionate kiss, who charges in with a huge tray? Lucille. And I thought, this is oh, amazing. Bringing you know, she's bringing a tray. Isn't she this kind tray of tea, tea all the time? Tray of tea. And it is a comfort. You know, she brings out a tray. If someone brings out a tray of tea or food to you, it's a symbol of hospitality. So you wouldn't mm. think, oh, there's something going on here. You would you would try to you know you wouldn't your mind wouldn't the first thing would, wouldn't think oh there's poison in here you'd think this is a gesture of hospitality yeah and everything is fine but um there's a lot going on behind that teacup and there's a lot of trust implicit in the gesture yeah. of making something even when you go to a restaurant really when you sit down at the table you don't know what's going on behind closed doors and often Precisely. you get that in horror films Precisely. where you get this, the the door of the kitchen slightly open and you see something which is a little bit amiss or something weird and you think oh Oh, this is dangerous. This is going to be really, really mm -hmm. bad. <laughs> well, it's so, I like how yeah. it takes something that is supposed to be a, a form of comfort, like you said, it's, it's hospitality, but it's also a form of comfort. You know, a nice, comfortable yes. cup of tea, and it completely subverts it. And it does. I love it. And then there's there's that really interesting scene um, right after Edith has come to Allerdale Hall, where Thomas and Lucille are sitting down in the kitchen. And you know they're polish they're they're polishing their their silver and cleaning their 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 tea set their that gorgeous beautiful tea set and I thought it was it, it, again it was just like so such an interesting scene because it takes place it could have taken place anywhere in the kitchen but I think the fact that it took place in the kitchen and they they show that tea set but they show them doing the work of isn't well, it like they're sharpening their weapons like they're sharpening their weapons yes. they're like Let's get ready to attack exactly. our next victim. Because she'll be victim number four, won't she? Yes. And, and, no, well, yeah, you're no. right. Is it victim number four? She'll be, she'll be the fifth victim because fifth they one. murdered their mother. Yes. And then there were the three wives that Thomas had, which he never consummated yes. the relationship with them. Uh, yes. And then there would have been Edith. So, yes, yeah, she would have been lucky. Lucky number five. Oh, gosh. And talking of weaponizing crockery, I think some of the scenes were so great where um, Lucille is kind of um, taking, which is uh, Jessica Chastain is the perfect villain. Just wonderful in this film. She's an and she takes actress. a spoon and she's like with the spoon of the cup, she's making the scraping noises, oh. even though. You know, even though there is a, an element of looking after and taking care, if is that when that Edith? That's teacup, when Edith, that's when Edith gets sick and she's bedridden and um and she's like scraping the side of the teacup and it's like that would put your teeth on edge anyway. You'd know that there's something mm -hmm. wrong. And poor Edith is so naive and she she has she has no idea really that that mm -hmm. that, that everything is poisoned. You know, the the tea and the porridge and mm -hmm. um. And so I did a bit of research on uh, teaspoons because I thought, how interesting. 
what is the etiquette like do you leave a teaspoon in a cup or do you leave it on the side mm -hmm. and apparently um you should never ever drink your tea with the spoon inside the cup it's like very very bad manners apparently you should always have it outside mm -hmm. and um it was forbidden to leave teaspoons in cups actually and there's margaret visser who is a food writer and in her book the rituals of dinner um page 196 for anyone who has the book but she says for about 100 years, it has been forbidden to leave teaspoons in cups, partly to make it clear that we understand that they are for stirring only. And you must never leave your coffee spoon or teaspoon in your cup when you lift it to your lips. And I have to say, Edith really knows how to drink tea exceptionally well. So she knows how to drink her poison. She keeps sipping it. Poor thing. It's like a lamb to slaughter. But serving tea as a gesture collectively mm -hmm. indicates hospitality and warmth. So why well, would she then, think I mean, that she so was not being only poisoned? Serving tea is, 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 is a form of hospitality, but feeding somebody when they're sick in bed is another it's another, uh, you know, it's, it's you're meant to be a caretaker that that's a very strong form of trust. You yes. know, you're putting your trust in that person, not just to take care of you, but to feed you. So it, it's yes. even more doubly it's even more of a betrayal because, you know, Lucille is, is you know, she's not just trying to poison, she's not just poisoning her with the tea and, and, you know, taking this this act of hospitality and this act of comfort and subverting it, but she, now she's doubly taking advantage of Edith when Edith is in bed and Edith won't drink the tea anymore because she's just, she knows that it's poison right. now and she turns her head away. And then Lucille says, no, but I, you have to eat. You have to get your strength back. And then she goes into that monologue. And, and it's just so eerie and creepy when she says, I, I cared for mother in this bed. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> she says, I bathed her and I dressed her and I fed her. And then, like you were saying, she does that horrible where she, like, scraping the spoon against the, the side of the cup. And it's just, it's like, like you said, it's like nails on a chalkboard. And we found you at the bottom of the stairs. Do you feel better? I'm afraid we're snowed in. Then you must eat. You must get stronger. I tended mother in this bed. Father was a brute. He hated mother. Broke her leg. Snapped it in two under his boot. She never quite healed. She was bedridden for a long time. But I cared for her. And to me, I was just like, I was, I mean, to me, it was very obvious. Like, she, th that's got to be poisoned as well. But Edith eats it. I'm like, Edith, don't eat. Don't I eat know, or drink I was anything thinking, in this house. Please. I was thinking because before, because obviously you don't need a spoon in there. There's nothing you're stirring. You're not stirring in milk or lemon. There's nothing visible. It's obviously the poison she's stirring, but mm -hmm. it's black tea. So I was like, Edith, open your eyes. Before you used to have a spoon because you used to drink from the spoon when it was, it was okay to drink from the spoon and it was hot yeah. liquid. So that's what you do. And that's why you had the saucer. You 
used to actually pour with the spoon into the saucer and drink from a separate saucer. Mm-hmm. So it was a whole ritual going on. But now it's literally all you need is a is a cup. So yeah. Edith is um Well is the fact unaware. that nobody else would drink tea except her. I know. You know like yes. Thomas would always say, Oh no, no, I don't know, no, no. And and then you never saw Jessica uh, Lucille, Jessica Chastain's character drink the tea either. It's always it was no. it's like it's so it's so beautifully done and it's so subtle, but it's so obvious at the same time. It really makes yeah. you look at tea tea drinking in a in a whole different fashion. Yes. No, I know. And they use the excuse of the house being really cold and big and they're obviously used to it, but um poor Edith isn't, so she needs to warm up. She needs to warm up for the grave. But no, you were no kidding, right? We, we, we were talking about colour because there is a naivety to Edith, and that's kind of symbolized through the type of gowns and the colour of the gowns that she wears, like mm-hmm. yellow, traditionally kind of uh, a colour of innocence. Though not always, for example, in the yellow wallpaper, it's not, but I guess in some um in some respects it is. But it also uh, has the connotation of uh being a warning as well. So oh, there's the flip side of that, you know, that's, yes. it's a warning, but it's also meant to represent sunshine and, and happiness. And, um, and also I thought it was an interesting symbolism when a scene in the park before they have left America, where uh, Edith is walking with Lucille and Lucille is looking at the butterflies and the butterflies are dying because of the cold. And Edith is wearing this beautiful yellow dress. It's, it's gorgeous. She looks like a, a ray of sun. And then Lucille is wearing this black jacket with this beautiful red uh, flower corsage over her on her left side, over her left lapel. And the dress, you notice that the color of the dress that Edith is wearing is the exact same color of the butterflies that are dying. So, I mean, pretty evocative symbolism there. Yeah. Yeah. And then then Lucille makes the comment that, well, we don't have butterflies like this at home. We only have these black moths and Edith, Edith asks, well, "What do they live? What do they? What do they eat? What do they feed on? Butterflies." So it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty, uh, mm. you know, it's again, it's, 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 it's a subtle movie in some ways, and in other ways, it's, it's, it's very in your face, but it's just so, so brilliantly done. Yeah, it is. And um, yes, I was just thinking about the mother, who's mm-hmm. a very creepy character as well. We see her in portrait form, obviously, and. She's kind of the Isn't root. she horrible looking? Oh uh, yeah, and she's kind of depicted as the root of the issue between in in the family, the way that she behaved, the way that she treated the children. Yes, I mean it's it's obviously that that you know she was quite abusive to them. You know, uh, Lucille makes reference to the cane, and that they yes. were they were basically locked in that attic. So, I mean, you know, these poor kids locked in the attic. I, I, I guess on some level you could understand why they developed an incestuous relationship you know they didn't have any exposure to anyone else they were probably and, and growing their up relationship was probably kind of they turned towards each other for comfort because mm-hmm. as you mentioned in that scene with the butterflies Lucille says something along the lines of it's a it's a savage world with things dying and eating each other right beneath our feet so mm-hmm. she she feels like she's and obviously now Edith is next in this food chain mm-hmm. because they've had to adapt to this cruel world and it, mm-hmm. I don't know do you do you feel any kind of sympathy or empathy towards Lucille or is she a purely evil character in your no eyes? I mean and that's what makes her so fascinating and and even in the beginning like you don't necessarily get the sense of uh and I mean this is maybe because she sensed that her brother genuinely liked this girl but she tries to dissuade him in the beginning and tells him not her she's too young but I I you know I don't think it was that I think it was that she sensed that he he really liked 
uh, Edith and she didn't want that. She wanted him all for herself. So no, um, I mean, she's not really a sympathetic per character. I mean, you know, she, you could, you, I like that she has a backstory and you understand from, from where it came and, you know, she's trying to protect her brother and, you know, they don't really get into why they developed the sexual relationship. I mean, she alludes to it a little bit, you know, it's this place is monstrous and it creates this love is monstrous and it creates monsters. But I mean, they were obviously raised in a, in a monstrous place in the sense of there was the physical abuse. I mean, and then they talk about the father who, who broke the mother's leg. He, he stomped her leg under his boot. I mean, yes. so obviously you were getting abuse on both sides, you yes. know, and you don't get the they don't get a sense that the father was abusing the children, but the father was obviously when he was there, when he was not spending the family fortune, he was abusing the mother. And I can't imagine of you know knowing what I know about the dynamics of family abuse. You know, if 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 the masculine if if the masculine father not the father if the if the masculine parent is the one who is perpetuating the physical abuse on the mother on the female parent. Nine, nine times out of ten, it, he's going to be abusing the children as well. It's just a, it's just a part of the dynamic. Uh, it's very sad. So in that sense, I felt some sympathy. You, you knew that they had both been raised by terrible parents. You knew there had probably been some abuse. In that sense, yeah, she was a sympathetic character. Um, I felt like she was kind of pandering to Thomas's needs and Thomas's wanting to create this machine to be successful to continue digging in the mines and to be someone who could kind of well scale. I think that was her way of keeping him there I think she yes. knew that you know she didn't really mind if she if he'd wanted to do something else I I feel like she would have been on board with whatever he wanted she was just trying to keep him yeah happy in a way yeah in more in more ways than one but we haven't really <laughs> talked about alan have we the doctor there's always a oh, doctor yeah. i know i know and so. alan is always kind of yeah they're always portrayed as a little bit boring but solid and reliable and he comes to well, kind of god he did yes thank god get this character that's quite is quite fun and there's a nice scene between Edith and Alan when they talk about, um, well, she goes to visit Alan and he's an ophthalmologist, just like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, she mentions. She takes mm -hmm. out a book and says, um, oh, you know, what are you working on? And Alan says that he is working on something to do with photography. And it's all about materials retaining the impressions of past life. And so that then prompts um, Edith to say, perhaps we only notice things when the time comes to see them mm -hmm. so that things, ghostly things are happening all around us. But if we're not open to see them and it's not the right time for us to receive that message, yeah. we probably wouldn't be able to to receive it. Well, so, that would probably like explain her her visions of her mother or the mother's appearances to Edith rather because the first one is when she's a young child and it's right, you get the impression it's right after her mother has died. And, you know, they don't explain the timeline of that, but, you know, the, in that very open, in that opening scene where the mother comes to warn her about Crimson Peak, it's absolutely terrifying. And, you know, she says, beware of Crimson Peak. And you can tell, and that's always stayed with Edith. And then again, it's an interesting timing, right when she has met uh, Thomas, she, there, her father has gone to a party with Alan and Edith doesn't want to go. She wants to stay home. So she's up in her bedroom and her mother makes this terrifying appearance to her again and repeats it. Beware of Crimson Peak. And literally not even two minutes after that, who shows up at the door to take her to the party? Thomas. 
So, I mean, yeah, that does make some sense that, you know, you only see certain things when you need to see them. But then when but she's I love talking to Alan about the, the photography and the ghosts, yes. the ghosts and stuff, um, I had a brilliant train of thought and it's <laughs> completely <laughs> <laughs> Don't you hate when that happens? I, I, I should have written it yeah. down, but I thought to myself, no, um, no, I'll remember. No, yeah, no. <laughs> I really did have like yeah. a really interesting thing to say about Alan and his ghost photography and it's pissing, Oh, yes. The impression of the I, ghost. Like, think of oh, it, shoot. Oh, well, no big deal. It will come to you. It will come to you. I yeah. wanted to talk about, oh, just some romantic moments because I am a fan of um, Thomas. And, you know, I think even though he is a villain, uh, he does then in the end fall in love with Edith. So I quite like the the arc of that and how he takes her to this dance and when they walk in Jessica's Jessica Chastain so Lucille's face is like stone the tension is palpable like she turns around and she sees both of them and she hates Edith Scott's immediately I think and they do mm -hmm. this great waltz and they're like holding this candle and there's some quite nice romantic moments mm -hmm. also when um, Edith thinks that Thomas has gone forever and she rushes to is it the train station or the post office anyway they meet for a kiss um, he's still there they meet and they kiss she goes and, to um, uh, I think she ends up at his hotel for some reason and then goes somewhere oh no yes. is he waiting downstairs in the hotel then That's they bump it. into it. each other yeah. and he says to her I find myself thinking of you at the most inopportune moments of the day and I thought oh, that's such some ni really nice lines in this and mm -hmm. I, I just think there were these moments that were really nice and um and you could see them getting closer and closer and that mm -hmm. there was but again I doubt and I wanted to ask you this mm -hmm. I felt a little bit like in The Little Stranger I wasn't too sure I think Thomas had reached the point where he knew that it was kind of an end ending with Lucille in order for him to progress to be in the future and to do his business and develop what his passion was he needed to come away from all that grief that trauma and that included well, his sister you could tell he wanted to but there's that scene when lucille is is telling him when they they're in allerdale hall he knows she says you can't leave me and, and you you won't leave me and he says i can't like he okay. knows even though he knows that you know he wants to leave and he probably knows that this relationship doesn't have any future i mean the one with his sister yeah, he, he you, you also get that sense like he's tied to her psychologically. So you didn't get that because I got the feeling that maybe, yes, he's falling in love with Edith, but really it's more a convenient like it's so many things together that he's like, right, let's move on. I get with Edith and I don't know if it's as sincere as it's wanting to make out a little bit like Dr. Faraday in The Little Stranger or in other moments where it's kind you of. You mean his love for his sister yeah. or his love for Edith? No, no, his love for Edith. Yeah. Um, I. Not a hundred percent sure about his. No, love I mean, I think he probably well, because but he saves her in the end. Remember, so I think he did truly love her. You know, he he, he when uh, mm -hmm. when the doctor shows up at uh, Allerdale Hall to rescue Edith, and you know, um, Lucille goes into you know axe murderer mode, takes out her her knife and her. Oh, that's her, wonderful, her, isn't it? When she's her. rushing down the stairs, that's God, terrifying, isn't it? She's awful. Yes. Um, I, I think he did genuinely love Edith. I mean, yes, I well remember the scene when she's in bed and she won't eat, she won't drink the tea that Lucille's trying to get her to drink, and she's mm -hmm. trying to get her to eat the poison porridge. And Thomas comes in and he tells Lucille, "I need some time with my wife," and yeah. Lucille leaves. And then he takes the tea tray away and he says, "Don't drink that ever." Like he's, yeah, he's clearly trying little, to 
Little did he know it was in the porridge anyway. Mm -hmm. But even then, I'm thinking, is that because he sees Edith as his future? In the sense, it's more convenient for him to kind of turn a page. And Lucille is kind of in the past for him. And mm -hmm. he can't carry on with her the way he's been carrying on. And then... Yeah, because he even says, he said, you knew this was going to happen. Exactly. So it's time to move on. Now, it didn't really matter if it was Edith or it was another Enola, which is one of the previous wives. Who but you didn't get a sense that he loved them. I mean, you listen to those. No, those, those no. Cylinder recordings, right. And you can no. tell he's just playing along when he does that. Little You're right back. about that. His, the, the one from Edinburgh, um, the wife from Edinburgh that he marries, like he, yeah. she, she keeps telling him well, you, when they're doing the recording, she wants to like demonstrate to him how well it can record. And he says, I don't know what to say. And she says, you could say that you love me. And he doesn't even respond. No, no, no. He goes no. and he tells that else. poem. Yeah. So I do think that, yeah, he did fall in love with Edith. And he did save okay. her in the end. So. Okay. Yeah. I also wanted to just mention that they have, so they have the dad's funeral. They get married. All these kind of major events. There's no wake. There's no food. There's no celebration. There's no not nothing during these scenes so we don't mm -hmm. get any any food in that in that respect yeah but you do um, speaking of the speaking of their love story edith and uh thomas's you do get a very very pivotal uh pivotal food scene uh so thomas and thomas takes edith into town that the, the alladell hall is very isolated from town and so he takes her into town one day she's very um She's very agitated because she's seen these ghosts. She's not feeling well because of the poison. She doesn't know what's going on, but she knows something's going on. So Thomas tells her, no, you know, I'm going to take you into town the next day. We'll go, we'll go pick up the parts for my machine. Get some fresh air. Yeah, get some fresh air. Some fresh air will help you after we've been poisoning you with your tea. That's yeah. so British. And I, I know, right? Well. Go and get some fresh air. Go I know. Go, go take a long walk or something. Walk in the fresh yeah. air. And so they end up getting snowed in. So they end up having to stay in town and they consummate their relationship. And that is actually a very romantic scene. And it's, it's romantic without being explicit, which I thought was very well done. Um, and so yeah, they come well, home the next morning and Thomas goes off to take the, the equipment to the farm. Uh, Edith goes into the kitchen to find Lucille and she sees yeah. food burning on the stove. So she goes and takes the pan off the stove and Lucille's been making breakfast and she comes in and she said, where have you been? And she knows something has happened and she loses her mind. And then um, Edith tells her, well, we stayed overnight. And, you know, obviously the implication is clear. We spent the night together. We, we had sex. And like you see this crazy look come over Lucille's face. She goes into this rage. She picks up this pan full of scrambled eggs that she's been cooking. And you can, you can see she's going to launch it at Edith and she controls herself at the last minute. And she That's says, brilliant. you think this is a game? She says, I was terrified of you. Should you, I was think I kept thinking of you two together. And then she says, in the snow, what if there had been an accident? Or like, mm-hmm. But then yeah, she's like, she's that, not like, happy. Like, 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 like you said before, weaponizing food and weaponizing dishes. I mean, she was ready to like... Yes brain her with that pan that big heavy cast iron pan which you can come to think of it that would be that would make a really good weapon so if ever if ever, oh, that would have ever, killed her that would have smashed her head in totally mm -hmm. so if so i'm thinking if somebody ever like you know pisses me off yes don't come near me with my cast iron because you'll be sorry oh my gosh i can't shoot I a gun that. i can't I'm, I'm not very like you know hand-eye coordination stuff but god damn it i'm good with my kitchen instruments and I've got a kind of toasting machine that has a lid, which is quite heavy. So I might use go. that. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I do actually have my house structured in such a way that there is a weapon in every room. 
Do you know but what's spend... also good? Probably a cheese grater might be good. What do you think? That would, you, 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 I mean, you, that could you be draw multi. Some blood. You draw I would some do some blood. multitasking with that because I'm yeah. tasking. You would most um, certainly draw some blood there. So, and speaking and of blood, goes, yeah. Speaking of blood, we were talking about the color scheme and the themes. Oh, yes, tell me in, more. in the movie. Um, well, to me, the, the 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 obviously the color red. You know, that's obviously an, a nod to crimson peak, and it's meant to evoke danger and violence. And and so you see that. The ghosts in Allerdale Hall, the ghosts of the women that they have all killed, they're these horrible red ghosts. Like they're they're skeletons, they're skeletons, and they look like they're the blood is just dissolving into the air and just dripping. And they're absolutely, I thought they were terrifying. I mean, beautiful but terrifying. But I you agree. see so much of the the color red dotted throughout the movie. Like in the very beginning, they're at the very very beginning, the party where um, they the party where they meet Thomas and Lucille when they're in America and everybody's wearing these beautiful shades of like cream and gold and yellows and browns. And again, very like that similar to the color scheme we were talking about, you know, meant to kind of evoke familiarity and comfort and security and safety. And the scene opens with this party where it's a beautiful woman is playing the piano and the camera pans in on her from the back and she's wearing this red dress. And this red dress is just absolutely gorgeous. It's yes. it kind of reminded me of the red gown that um, Mina Hart, Mina wore in Bram Stoker's Dracula, Winona Ryder's character, that beautiful red yes. gown when Dracula takes her out. But it doesn't that dress also look like those ghosts? Like with yes, the, the very much so. on the back. It looks like a it looks like a skeleton, doesn't it? This cycle, don't we? Of we're always taken back to the beginning, and then the beginning is also the end, and that's but that's so brilliant and. Wasn't it Carl Jung who said that the, the the colors are the mother tongue of the subconscious, something like that? So, so we get a subconscious reaction as soon as we see colors. So you might mm -hmm. see something when she's wearing her green gown. It's maybe she's matured a little bit more when she's wearing her yellow gown. You get this sense of innocence. So they're doing something in our minds, much like food does, really. Yes, just in our subconscious and creating a bodily reaction. Mm -hmm. So it's talking to our kind of. Um, I think Frank Botting does uh, a study on this as well. Color mm -hmm. as a language, and so yeah. Okay, but what's interesting about color is that it has each color has so many different meanings. Like red, red can mean danger, blood, violence, but it, it also means life. I mean, yes. people associate red with blood, but red is also this this very vibrant color. Like you know, you, you it's not the it blood of the just, body. It doesn't have just one one meaning and the same thing like we were talking about with yellow Edith wears a lot of yellow and cream throughout the movie and obviously it's meant to evoke her innocence and the fact that she's the light in the darkness but yellow also has the connotation of warning so 100 mm -hmm. yeah that's absolutely yeah. true and, and you then, think with the, what I love is like what you think with the gothic oh all dark corners and it's all dark and it's no it doesn't have to be all dark and black and shadowy you can get vibrant colors like with hammer horror and stuff like that or, yeah. or with Dario Argento Dario Argento I watched Suspiria the other day and my eyes couldn't take in all the color that was I know going on. I know it's amazing. and it's still scary it kind um, of it was it was somewhat evocative of a of a giallo film I thought this movie just the, those intense reds and then the yes, yellows yeah yeah I mean it's slightly more pastely isn't it because Dario Argento went crazy in that film yeah his his colors are like ultra it's like he he like 
the the reds were the red of the blood yes. in in jello films is is like the so it's like doesn't even exist in nature it's this so outrageous pink, so red, red that yellow yes. the red the yellow is almost like a chartreuse I yes mean, they're they're intense they're over the top just like jello itself but yes. yeah and it, you know what's interesting though is that like you when we go back to Ellerdale Hall you see everything is very blue there like the house is mm, the walls are yeah. painted for the most part the walls are painted that that very beautiful like deep deep midnight cerulean blue and you see lucille wearing a lot of a lot of blue and then you yeah. see thomas wearing a lot of blue and then you still see um edith running around in in her creams and her yellows and stuff like that so i did a little research before we did this episode on on um color theory well you know red and so blue and yellow are the opposite are on the opposite spectrums of the of the, they're they're opposite each other on the color spectrum isn't that interesting oh, i didn't know that mm -hmm. no i didn't know that i think i find color theory really interesting that's one of the reasons i like movies is is because you can like the color almost always has you know more more than one meaning, meaning. Yeah, yeah that's that's one of the drawbacks about reading books is you don't you know you don't you have to use your imagination exactly yeah. yeah but that's why i think this movie is so perfect because you you know you see those amazing colors and and um yes. you know and guillermo del toro is, is is kind of similar to argento in how he uses color um i think you know he uses color very much for for intense effect like remember pan's labyrinth yes like remember all the colors in pan's labyrinth and be, yes. when she's between the worlds like the real yes. world is very kind of muted and it's a little bit sepia and then the the fairy tale world is these reds and these golds mm, and taking yeah. to these bright spaces yeah, yeah yeah i wonder if it has to do as well a little bit with how the characters are depicted so you get characters that are stuck in the past characters mm -hmm. that are kind of in the present but wanting to go towards the future just like thomas and edith is already in the future she's already doing things which are more forward more modern in fact there's a a group she wants of to ladies. be a writer. She wants to. It's a group of ladies that want to make that make fun of her and call her Jane Austen. And she says, "Well, I'd rather be Mary Shelley, uh, who was widowed." Oh yeah, no, <laughs> the, she, yeah, and that's that, quite, the, you know, like a modern yeah. way of thinking. Like it's I don't really want to be. Funny. But it's also a really. It's, it's also just it's, it's such a great clapback too. These these rich these rich society women telling her, "Oh, you have other things to think about." Our little Jane Austen. Oh, but she died a spinster. Yes. Actually, I'd rather be Mary Shelley. She died a widow. Exactly. Uh, She's always got a good comeback and she wants to be in the future. She wants to use a typewriter. Her dad gives her a pen and she's like, Dad, actually, I'm going to use a typewriter to type up my story. So she was already in the future yeah. and she kind of matched Thomas on that because Thomas was stuck in the past because he was being, let's say, dragged down mm -hmm. and Lucille. So that's why Lucille kind of had to go. And then it, it could have been Thomas and, and Edith, but then there was so much trauma. I don't think, so I don't think they ever would have been. Thomas so much together. crime sorry not sin so there's no crime. way that Thomas and Edith could have made things work after the amount of knowledge that she had about what he did no but also you know we're going back to the the conversation about the pen and the typewriter I mean mm. the pen is very much kind of symbolic of her father her father represents comfort and hard work and industry and maybe a little bit old-fashioned but thank god because that pen is is that pen saves her life at the end that's what she stabs Lucille with when Lucille no it yes isn't. that's the yes didn't she get a little pen from her room up uh, sorry not pen a knife no, from the room upstairs no Lucille is the one that got the little knife she's trying to get <gasps> because that that's pen. when because that's when so the, the, pen the lawyer the pen is mightier than the sword 
Oh my goodness. So the lawyer, so Edith's lawyer has sent her all her paperwork to sign so she can get her money transferred. And Lucille is trying to say, you need to sign this, like sign it, sign it. And it's after everything has happened and the doctor has come and Edith knows about Thomas and Lucille and you know, you're getting close to the end. And, um, and then Edith says, well, who killed my father? And she said, I did. And she basically admits, you know, she said, and I and yes. enjoyed it. They were downstairs and that's when, at the point. And that's mm. when Edith flies into a rage and gets the pen that her father gave her and stabs Lucille right in the heart, which is ironic because it's right in this. So the scene we were talking about earlier with the butterflies in the park, Edith is wearing yes. that yellow dress and Lucille is wearing this black, beautiful black coat with a red corsage, red flower yes. corsage over her heart. So that's exactly where she gets stabbed. That's yes. exactly where Edith stabs her, right? Where that, so I thought that was just a fan, another fantastic. Wonderful. And the red ring, of course, there's a red ring that um, Thomas gives Edith, which belongs, that belongs to their mother. So um, Lucille can't wait to rip that off Edith's fingers. <laughs> well, remember when the mother's ghost manifests? And you like the, so. What I thought was so cool about these ghosts is that when they manifest, you see the blood coming from the floating wherever, blood. Where, from what, the, the, the blood, well, the blood comes. Blood. Well, the blood is coming from where they got their mortal wound. Mm. So the mother, you see her ghost. She's got this this cleaver through her her head, which that was the work of a uh, of Lucille. But you also see the her finger where the ring was ripped off, and the blood. I'm telling you, the more times you watch this movie, it's like it's like the haunting of Hill House. You see, watch it again, you you see something else you didn't catch the first time. It's again and again and again, like mm -hmm. it really is. It never. And I ends. love the I love the moths as well. I thought that was a, yes. a great homage to the uh, Silence of the Lambs. You know, all these little Easter eggs for for other horror films, like the scene where the um, the mother she sees the mother's ghost coming out of the bathtub. Yes. You know what, what that about... was that was from? The Shining. Do you remember the woman from the oh, Shining yes. the bathtub? But then do you think then that the red ball is from the changeling when they throw the red ball? You know the changeling when it goes the no, red the, ball I'll tell you what's down the stairs. The, yes, the the well yeah. there's the there's the wheelchair that when Edith is sick and her husband puts her in the wheelchair, remember? Mm, as well. Yes. So there's the wheelchair, there's the, there's lots the of red things. ball. Oh, and yeah. then so the, the other reason why I, I don't think Lucille is at all sympathetic and I think she's just a bitch and I'm glad she died is because she killed the dog. Oh, we don't see that, luckily. We hear, we kind of hear something, don't we? Yes. We don't but... see it. That poor little dog, which is a great scene at the beginning, where if you're kind of not in the know, then the dog appears and um, Edith says, can we keep him? And then the driver in that moment <laughs> says something like, oh, um, this is, uh, he, no, uh, Thomas says, this is my wife. And he says, I know you've been married a long time. And Edith's like, what is he talking about? And Thomas is like, I don't know. <laughs> so you get that. And then the dog is distracting. It's a distraction. But again, we have a dog that is leading, it is leading Edith to the truth, mm -hmm. down to the basement. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like a gui guide, isn't it? It's like a, a messenger, a guide. Mm -hmm. And it serves its purpose. And then Lucille does what she does. So it's So it's good that she got stabbed in the heart with a pen. I guess it is. I and just, then, you know, and then, and then, you know, gets clubbed at the end over the over the head with a shovel when uh, when Edith goes after her, and she and that part her, is she quite. It's funny, casual, isn't, it? isn't it? It's quite casual how she does it. It's like I know what to do. Like it. <laughs> by well, that what time, I loved, it, what I loved is the dialogue between the two of them. You know, they'll um, mm. keep saying, "I won't stop. I won't stop. I won't stop till you're dead or I'm dead." And uh, and Edith, you know, hits her over the head with a shovel and kills her. Like I know. And she says, "I heard you the first time." 
and and then it's true in the end lucille and thomas do stay together and never apart which is what he says so the the romantic story so. between them i think thomas uh went on to his i think thomas went on to uh, another plane because you don't see him in the house you see him as, as you see him appear at the end as a ghost in the mines <laughs> he's gone to the mines <laughs> well i think because i think the fact that he's white to me indicates that like he has done what he can to 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 ask her forgiveness. He tried to save her. He he helped them escape. He that kept... first ghost, you know, of um, you know, the first ghost, the ghost of the mother that we see in the beginning, that kind of grabs Edith, Edith by the neck through Edith, the door. That's the ghost of the ghost of Edith's mother. I, is it is not that the one? Yeah, it, it's black, right? It's like yeah. you get black and red and black, and then with uh, you're right that Thomas is completely white, and I just thought it's because he's in the snow or. But I don't know. It could possibly be. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of being romantic. I'd like to think that maybe he, like you know, he, he made amends for he redeemed he himself. He redeemed himself, and so he got to say goodbye to Edith one last time before his spirit went to wherever. But then, yeah. yeah but I don't. But he's not with Lucille because in the end, you see that you see that slow pan through the house after mm -hmm. Edith and um, Alan have escaped. And that's and it goes and she she does that beautiful ending scene that been and and monologue uh, about ghosts and revenge and love and yes. the camera pans through the house and it goes in and it, you see the woman playing piano and it's the ghost of oh yeah that's Lucille and she's, and she's a black and she's mm. a black ghost so she's a dark ghost, I yeah. think um so I think that and it, to me that symbolizes a ghost that is tied to a place like that's the reason. Edith's mother was a black ghost because her mother was tied to that house. Yes. Ah, yes. It's anything that's in the house because it's tied. I wonder if it's because it's tied to the mines and to kind of money made from that kind of activity. Um, so it might be might be something to do with that. Uh, the, one of the quotes that stood out to me the most is the one that uh, Lucille says to Edith. The yeah. things the things we do for love like this are ugly, mad full of sweat and regret. This love burns you and maims you and twists you inside out. It is a monstrous love and it makes monsters of us all. I, I mean, that's, that's the amazing. most perfect description of a, an incestuous relationship that I could possibly ever come up with, or well, I didn't come up with it, but you know what I mean. If I'm Roderick, if Roderick and, and Madeline Escher had, had survived, that, that quote might've come out of one of their mouths. Yes. And with the fire thorns, you know, the fire thorn berries, which yes, the, one, so that was the ones that Lucille uses to make the poison tea. Yes. Um, I don't know. Do you know, do you know much about these berries or? It's, no, um, it's, it's kind but of the name is main, mainly the name is very I mean, evocative. Yeah. But I, I was thinking that maybe it was mainly because of the color, you know, the fiery color um, that they were used. Um, so its Latin name is Pyracantha or Pyracantha. Mm. And there are these bright red little berries. They look uh they look like holly almost. Yeah. And well, I mean they're they're in the holly family from what I understand. So and holly is terribly poisonous. Yes. So um, I can't imagine anybody wanting to make tea out of a fire thorn berry, but you know, if, if you if, if you're game to try it, if, are you gonna are you gonna make a fire thorn berry uh, gelatin as your food for this episode? You know what? I'm <laughs> I might do just just to see. It's, it'd probably be quite difficult to get hold of them because I'm doing. I'm trying to do something with mugwort, and that's proving very difficult as well. So hmm. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe in this case, I might try and make something that I can actually eat, like one of those 
well, maybe a cake or maybe I'll do um, the breakfast of the dead, bacon and eggs, just before he goes, the father. I was going to, I thought I might do a breakfast as well in homage of the uh, the scene in the kitchen where Lucille almost launches a pan of scrambled eggs oh. at, at Edith and I'll call it um, brother, sister, eggs. Less than 60 days. Well, this was wonderful talking with you as usual. Uh, I think we covered everything we wanted. This is Crimson Peak. If you haven't seen it, please go see it. If you haven't watched it in a while, watch it again. If you haven't watched it, we've completely ruined it for you. So please do go and watch it now. (laughs) (laughs) One last thing. One last spoiler. Thomas is killed by Lucille when he tells her he's fallen in love with uh, Edith. And she stabs him. And, and, but I'm sorry, this is a very, one of those unintentionally hilarious scenes where she stabs him in the, in the body and then she realizes what she's done. And then she goes and she stabs him in the face. I'm like, she <laughs> looks like she stabs him in the nose. I'm like, it was a bit of an awkward scene, wasn't it? The eye. Yeah, and it's, you it get that cut been, under the eye. I don't know yeah, why. I kind of made yeah. me wonder, was that like, you know, I don't know, was Guillermo trying Maybe, to say something? I don't no, want to be biblical less, about less, this. Not but less guy. What? I want. I don't want to be biblical about it, but could it be eye for an eye? Or if thy, thine eye offends thee, pluck it out. Or beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and she's taking his eye out. That's Who a knows? very good one as well, you know. Or you know, or the as as the other saying goes, beauty is in the eye of the beer holder. There's that. That's very important as well. I did not know that one, but thank you for telling that, me. That's an Americanism. You're welcome. <laughs> It was so wonderful talking to you about one of my another one of my favorite films. So uh, I mine can't too. Wait to discuss something else soon, but for now, this is all. Hasta la vista, baby. Bye bye. You know the 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 dad, Mister Cushing, has ham and eggs and coffee, and he also wants a sip of port. So I might try maybe making something with port, just to be just to be difficult <laughs> just to do something difficult well you know what you could if you if you have your heart set on a breakfast because a lot there's a lot of breakfast references in this movie what you could do is you could make um porridge and then do a port syrup oh that's a really great idea mm-hmm. yes that is a great idea. i have them on occasion you know this is it for this is my great idea for 2023 we're done after this so enjoy well, there's a, only a few months left so it's fine I know we're three months away from Halloween. I can't wait. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening and make sure to tune in for our next episode coming to you in two weeks. As always, stay spooky. What's that like to live deliciously?